Did you guys grow up playing checkers? Who did? You know, you know how to play checkers? I'm, I'm just appalled at all the people younger than me that I talk to that don't even know how to play checkers. How did you get through your childhood not knowing how to play checkers? I, I grew up in, I went to elementary school in this really small town in, in Tennessee, Birdstown, Tennessee, and um, we had a checkers culture. I mean, it was, it was amazing. We played checkers all the time. We played it before school and after school. When I was in fourth grade, I remember that we, like a bunch of fourth graders, we would go to the high school basketball games. We would travel. We'd go to the away games. It was a big deal. It's not just an Indiana thing. But we would take our checkers sets to basketball games, and while the game's going on, we're sitting out in the lobby of the school playing checkers. That's what we, that's what we did. And my buddy Jerry was the king. Jerry, Jerry just killed everybody. He was the best checkers player, and he taught me how to play. And uh, I, I loved it because I, my favorite part if you play, you know, when you get your first piece to the other end of the board and you get to say those two magic words, king me, that's right. That's, that's the moment because now you can, you can go backwards on the board and you've got all this power and it's just, it's awesome to be able to say king me. And I, I think just that sense of being in control and having more power and, and feeling like, okay, now I'm going to win. Now the game is in my hands, right? Because I'm the king. We love that. I, I think just as human beings, we, we love the idea of being king or queen, of being able to be in control and, 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 and have authority and, and, and dominion over the world around us. This is why many of us like to drive, right? That is the moment where you're the king. I remember when I was learning to drive, 15, 16, and, and the, the getting behind the wheel was new and that power, you're like, oh, I, I've got this. 1974 Dodge Cornette that weighs 8,000 pounds. And if I can get this thing going over 60 miles an hour, nothing in the world can stop it. You know, that's, that's just how I felt. I mean, I loved that, that feeling of being in control. And that, that's, that's why I like to drive. And uh, that may be why I'm a bad driver. <laughs> some of you have heard some stories. Most of them are true. I, I, I think we look for those moments in our, in our world where we get to be in control. We get to have some authority and some power. And here's the truth. God created you to wear a crown. He created you to wear a crown, to have some authority and dominion in your life and in the world around you. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But the problem is our crown has some limits. If your crown represents your domain, there is a limit to your domain. And I think most of us, our, our, our regrets, the moments that we wish we could have a do-over, are connected to times when we stepped outside of our domain and tried to be a king or a queen in an area where we actually didn't have the authority to do so. So what we're going to talk about during this series is this idea of, of who has the authority, where does that come from? When Jesus comes onto the scene uh, and begins to teach and preach, the summary of his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's pointing us to this truth that the world that you see and the world that you can taste and touch is not all there is. There is more to reality than what you can see and taste and touch. And Jesus wants to point us to that. But in order for us to understand what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God, we need to back way up. We're going to start at the actual beginning uh, and see where this uh, mentality or this idea of, of being kings and queens and, 
and, and authority comes into play. So if you have a Bible, uh, open to Genesis uh, for me, if you will. If you have trouble finding that, just uh, nudge somebody next to you. They'll help you out. It's at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God uh, creates the heavens and the earth. He makes the sun, the moon, the stars, and divides the water and the land, and puts fish in the sea, and puts birds in the air. And on day six, he makes the land animals and man. And he's got a special speech prepared for the, for the people that he made. Here's what we see in Genesis 1, 28. It says, And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God looked at these people he made, and he said, You're different than everything else I've made, and I want you to subdue the earth. That means the the, the land, whatever the land produces, you're, you're supposed to be in charge of this. You have authority here, and you're supposed to make this good uh, for, for everything that I've created. And then he looks at all the animals. He says, you have dominion over the animals too. You're in charge of making sure everything goes right with the animals. So God, God made us to wear crowns. He put crowns on Adam and Eve and said, this is your domain. Uh, we, we get this cool reference to this in Psalm 8, 5 where David writes this about how God sees people. He says, you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. We were made to wear a crown. That, that little thing in us that, that makes us long for these opportunities to be in control and to have some authority, God put that in you. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but it has limits. We're gonna see that in chapter two. If you flip over to chapter two, look at verses 15 and 16. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God said, this is the special place that, that I have lined out for you. This is uh, going to be the best place for you to live. It's going to have the best food and the best um, environment. And, and you're in charge. Work it and keep it. This is your place. You're the king here. But, verse 16, and God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God says, you, you have authority here. You are the king and queen of Eden. But your authority extends this far and no farther. I, I have set a boundary for you. And, and there, there is a realm where you do not have the authority to decide. And that realm is good and evil. What is right and what is wrong? What is good and what is evil? You do not have the authority to decide that. That is my realm. And, and you cannot participate in deciding what is good and what is evil. That's, that's my realm. So you have authority. You're, you're the king and queen of Eden, but your authority has a boundary. It has a limit. And I, I think when we run into boundaries to our authority, we have some options. There are some different things that we can do when, uh, and this is what I, I'm going to call the law of self. The law of self says, when, I, when my rule encounters a boundary, I, I will either fight or flee. When my rule encounters a boundary, I will either fight or flee. And, and you know what this looks like if you've ever been a teenager, okay? When, when your authority, you're starting to get more independence and you're starting to have more control and maybe you've got a job and you're earning your own money and you've got your own car, and, but there are still these boundaries in your world. That, that your evil parents have set up. And, and every time you bump up against those boundaries, you're either going to fight and, and challenge the rule or you're going to run to a place 
where there is no rule, where, where your parents don't have authority over you. And, and we, we experience this when we're growing up, and I, I think it's common even as we grow into adulthood, when we encounter boundaries, we're either going to fight or flee. So back to driving. Driving is the, the thing that makes me feel like I'm the king of just this one little domain in my life. I get to be king, but then somebody throws these signs up on the side of the road that wants to tell me how fast I can drive. The audacity. How dare they? 55? I mean, 55 is just, you're just not going that fast, you know? When you're, when you're four years old, you can run 55, right? You think you can, right? And, and I, when I run into that boundary, there's something in me that wants to fight. And I said, no, you're not going to tell me how fast I can drive. I know how fast is fast enough, and 55 ain't, ain't going to get the job done. So I'm going to go 60, 65, 70, who knows? If I'm on 465, it could be 85, you know, just to not get run over. You're out there just trying to make it happen. So when we run into that boundary, we, we make a choice. Am I going to fight this or am I going to flee? And flee is just, I'm going to run to a place where there, there, there are no rules. This is what happens every election, your presidential election, when people say, if that person gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. I'm just going to flee because apparently there are no rules in Canada. I don't know. What, are they just too cold to have laws there? I don't, I don't know. But that, that's the mentality. We're either going to fight or flee. But maybe there's a third option. When Adam and Eve run into this boundary and God has said, your authority extends this far and no farther. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's my domain. You may not enter it. They can either fight or they can flee or they can submit and engage in their relationship with God. And they can trust him and they can obey him. And it seems like they do this for a while. We don't know how long it was before they, they rebelled against God's reign. I'm guessing about 15 years, right? Isn't that how it works in your home? You get, you get about 15 years of obedience, and then it's like, who do you think you are? I'm pretty sure Adam and Eve had been on earth about 15 years when Satan comes along and says, these, these kids are prime for a little temptation. The time has come, okay? So let's see what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Adam and Eve have bumped up against this boundary that God has set, and someone comes along and says, have you actually thought this through? Okay, you've, you've been staying inside your boundary up until this point. Have you actually wondered what would happen if you crossed it? Is it possible that there's something better on the other side of this boundary? That maybe you would be happier. Maybe you would be more fulfilled. Maybe you would be wiser and more mature. If you went on the other side of this boundary, that's where the tempter comes along and does. And he begins, to, he begins to plant this seed of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve, saying, I, I think God is actually holding out on you. 
You're not actually going to die. God said you're going to die. No, you're not going to die. In fact, your eyes are going to be open and you are going to become like God. And God, God doesn't want competition. He doesn't want you to be like him. So if you, if you actually want to be happier, if you want to be wiser, I think you should go ahead and cross this boundary. And Eve looks at the fruit. It looks... It looks good. It looks like it's something that would make her happy. This idea of having her eyes opened, this idea that there's more out there. I, I could know more. I could experience more if I cross this boundary. And she, she trades her crown, trying to get a bigger crown, try, trying to go to a place where there's more freedom and more authority. And what happens? It says in verse 7 that their eyes were opened which is what the tempter said was going to happen. Your eyes are going to be open. So it, there's a half-truth, and, and this is the reality of all of Satan's temptations. There's a little piece of truth in all of them, a little shred, and that's what gets us. And he says, yeah, your eyes are going to be open, and it's true. Their eyes were open, and what did they realize? They realized that we don't have clothes on, and that's not okay. Up until this point, it had been okay. The, and, and I think so we're not going to get into the whole, like, you know, is being naked okay? Obviously, we're all glad that everyone is wearing clothes in this room, right? But there was this point in human history when they had the freedom to just be naturally themselves. We'll put it that way. There was a lot of freedom in that. And in this moment where they thought they were trading up, they thought they were trading for more freedom, what do they get? Less freedom. And they realize this is not okay. We've got to go make some underwear out of plants. Okay, this cannot be the most comfortable underwear on the planet. Uh, it, but so they're trading in this freedom for less freedom. They're trading in their freedom for restriction. They thought they were going to be more free, and what happens? They're less free. They traded in their crown for a curse. Part of the curse is they are banished from the Garden of Eden, which is the place where they meet with God. So the implication is you can no longer meet directly with God. These are the consequences. You traded in your crown for this, and now you can't meet with God. There's another curse that, that comes specifically to Adam. Remember how God told Adam to subdue the earth, and, and you're in charge of the land and what it produces, and you're going to make it good. It's going to be a good partnership. And what's the curse? God says now the land is going to fight back. Now the land is going to produce thorns and thistles, and you're going to have to work really hard to get anything out of it. You thought you were trading up. You thought you were getting something better and something more, but what actually is happening is you're making your life harder. You're, you're, you're making things worse. And we've all probably had that experience where we thought, we thought we're missing out on something, so we go and we cross this line, and we find out that it actually gets harder, and, and it's not easier, and things get worse. And maybe we traded in our freedom for shame and regret. What happens is we, we reach out across our boundary for more control and we end up finding that something starts to control us. This is what happened with the land. It began to control Adam. And the same thing happens when we reach out to something that we think is going to give us more control and, and it begins to control us. The extreme version of this is addiction. It's exactly what's happening. We, we want to have more control of our emotions, our feelings, how we're going to get through the day, and what do we end up with? Less control. We end up being controlled by something else. Is it worth it? Is it worth trading our crown for that curse? 
I think most of us in, in our moments of clarity would say, no, it's absolutely not worth it. But we continue to do this because there's something in us telling us, you have the right to this. You were born to wear a crown. You were born into authority and, and to have dominion. And, and, and the problem is there's, there's truth to that. There's a little bit of truth to that. God did create us for, for that authority and that domain, but our domain has limits. And when we cross into God's domain of deciding what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, then we're trading our crowns for, for, for curses. This happens, I think, in, in relationships. When you have a broken relationship, Often what's going on in broken relationships is someone uh, hurt an, another person. You, you said something that you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. You stepped on somebody else's dignity and value, and the relationship is broken. And in those moments, all it would take, all it would take is somebody to seek forgiveness and someone else to extend it. But forgiveness, that doesn't feel like authority. That doesn't feel like the way a king or queen should function. We don't have to forgive. I'm in charge. I have the right. You hurt me. I have the right to hold this against you. I have the right to hold this over your head and bring it up in every argument. I have the right to get you back, to do something back to you because you did something that hurt me. And, and what we, we think that we're getting control and authority in this relationship and what we're actually doing is we're sacrificing freedom because our bitterness begins to control us and our resentment begins to control us and we begin to live in this prison of unforgiveness and all it would take is to lay our crown down for a second. But we hold on to it because we have the right. That's the law of self. But what God has invited us into and the way that he created us to live is the law of love. The law of love says when, I, when my rule encounters boundaries, I do what love requires of me. I do what love requires. God created us in this relationship of love. He, he made us and he said, I love you and I made you and I want what's best for you. That's what love says. I want what's best for you. So he gave us domain over, over the land and what it produces over the animals. He gave us that domain. But he said, there, there is a limit, there's a boundary, and it is going to be best for you to stay within the boundary. That's where the most freedom is. That's where the most joy is and the most peace. And that's what love does. And, and God's desire is for us to look at him and say, you, you made me and you love me, therefore I love you. And because I love you, I will submit to you. And I will engage in relationship with you. And I'm just gonna trust that you know what's best and I'm going to obey you. That's the relationship of love, the law of love that God created us to live by. What does love require of me? I think we, we miss that a lot of times. We're so busy trying to protect our own crowns that we miss opportunities to love. So there is a warning signal that will come to you. And it is this voice that you hear in your head saying, but this is my right I deserve this, I earned this. And that little voice is a warning sign that you may be about to cross over into the domain of God, that you may be, you may be about to live under the law of self instead of the law of love. I'll give you a, a little example that, that's gonna sound insignificant, but I, I think it, it matters. I was backing out of a parking lot this past week at, at the library and uh, checked my mirrors, checked my backup screen, everything looks good. 
All right, before, some of you don't get ahead of me. I didn't run into anything, okay? Just, I know you've heard stories. I didn't, I didn't run into anything. But, but as I'm backing out, I'm three-fourths of the way out of this parking spot, and, and I hear this, and somebody's laying on their horn. And I'm like, oh, it's got to be me. And the first, the first, my response when somebody honks their horn at me is defensiveness. Like, who, who do you think you are? I, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're doing something wrong. And so I look back, and sure enough, there's a lady, and she's, she's moved about six inches out of her parking spot. You know, she's on her way back, but she's decided I'm in her way, and so she honks on her horn. And I know, I hear this voice in my head, I was here first. I was here first. This is my right. I, I, I don't need to give in here. I don't have to give in. I was here first. How simple would it have been just to pull back into my spot and let her go? But that's not what I did. I, kept, I came on back. And said, I dare you, I just dare you to hit me because I was here first and I pulled on out. And I immediately felt terrible about it. I thought, why, why did I have to do that? And, and in that moment when I thought, I'm going to exercise my right and I'm going to have more authority in this situation, I'm going to be the king of this situation. But instead, all I can think about is I really hope she didn't see that Cicero fam sticker on the back of my car <laughs> and that she's not Googling our website right now and seeing my face. I traded in. I, I thought I was trading up, but I traded in my crown for a curse. And it bugged me all day. And I couldn't go back and undo that situation. I just made sure when she got behind me, I saw her left blinker was on, I turned right. I needed to go left, but I turned right. <laughs> Getting away from this situation as quickly as possible. It wasn't worth it. 15 seconds, pull back into my spot, let her go. Now, is that really a big deal? Did I hurt her in some way? No, but I missed an opportunity to live by the law of love. Instead of saying, like, when I run into this boundary or somebody's going to challenge my authority, I'm going to fight. Instead of fighting, all I had to do was say, what does love require of me? And love says, I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm going to do what's best for you, even if it costs me a little bit, even if it costs me a few more seconds of time. You run into these situations all the time in your life. You're at the grocery store. There's one checkout lane open, and it is just packed to the gills. There's people poured out into the aisle, right? And they open another lane. Ding! Lane seven's now open. You're like, yes. But you see this other lady sees it at the same time, and her cart is overflowing, and she's a 20-minute checkout, and you just know it. And you're like, I can beat her. All I got to do is beat her to the spot, and I'm out of here much faster. In that moment, you could exercise your right. If you're faster, you have every right to that spot. Or you could say, what does love require of me? Can I, can I let it cost me five minutes to show kindness to a stranger? I know these seem like such meaningless examples, but I'm telling you, if we can't get the little opportunities right, why would God give us big ones? If, if we can't show love in the moments where it just really doesn't seem that like it matters that much, why would God give us moments that really matter? When you hear that little voice that says, it's my right. I, I got here first. I earned this. I deserve this. It's my right to hold this thing over you. You hurt me. And, and I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to just let that go. It's my right to hold this against you. That's when we need to be asking the question, what does love require of me?
What does love require of me? Love requires that I'm going to do what's best for you, even if it costs me a little something. I'm going to do what's best for you. This, this is what it truly means to wear the crowns that God gave us to wear to begin with. This is when we really get to be king and queen. This is where the most freedom is found. It's when we live under the authority of God, under his rule and reign. It's hard because we're not trained to do this. The world around us says, you are king of your own life. You make all the decisions. You get to decide what's right and wrong. But we're not made to function that way. God knows what's best and he set a boundary for us. And he said, the realm of, of the knowledge of good and evil, that's mine. That's mine. And it's gonna be best for you if you stay within that. I don't want you to trade your crown for a curse. So I want you to join me in asking God, what does love require of me? What does it really mean to think about what's best for somebody else in this situation? Maybe it means forgiveness. Maybe it means you finally let go and, and you do it out loud. Some of the most powerful words you can say to somebody in your life is, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm never gonna bring it up again. We're moving on. It's powerful. It feels like you're laying your, your crown down, but you're actually putting it on. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? I want you to ask that question. I, I, I just think about your day. What's, what's next for you? Are you going out to lunch? When, when you go out to lunch, you're sitting in a restaurant and you're surrounded by people and there's somebody that's gonna come and, and bring you your food. What does love require of you? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't have a problem with that. Maybe you're the kind of person that's really, it's really easy for you to be generous and kind in those situations. Maybe not. What's coming for you tomorrow? Who's going back to work? Who's on spring break? Woo! Oh, the teachers are so happy. Um, who's going back to work? What, what, what is waiting for you at your job on Monday morning? And what does love require of you? What does love require of you? Kindness and compassion and generosity. I just want you to think about what's, what's the next 24 hours hold for you? And are you gonna live under the law of self that says if somebody bumps against my authority to make my own decisions and run my own life, I'm gonna fight them or I'm gonna run away. But what if you chose to live under the law of love that says when, when somebody bumps up against my authority, I'm gonna do what love requires of me. What kind of life do you wanna live? What kind of person do you wanna be? What kind of home life do you wish you had? One where everybody lived under the law of self or the law of love? What kind of workplace do you wish you had? One where everybody lived under the law of self or the law of love? What kind of school do you wish you had? What kind of neighborhood do you wish you had? What kind of country do you wish you had? It starts with you. It starts with me. So as we close today, I'm just gonna ask you to pray with me. God, help me when I hear that voice that says, but it's your right, you earned this, you deserve this, Help me to ask the question, what does love require of me? Would you pray that with me? Father, we are so grateful that you created us to wear crowns. You created us to have authority in this world. But our authority has limits, God. You know us so well that you know what's best for us and you know where the boundaries need to be. And you set those boundaries for us in places where we're gonna have the most freedom and the most peace and the most joy. God, I pray that you help us to trust you, that you know what you're doing. 
that we would be submissive, we would trust you and obey you, and that, that whenever our authority is challenged, we would respond with love. God, I believe that a group of followers of Jesus who respond with love, God, you can, you can change our community through a group like that. You could change this county. You could change the world through a group like that. So my prayer, Father, is that you would do this in us and for us, that you would change people's lives through, through us as we operate under the law of love. In Christ's name, amen. When that relationship with God was broken in the garden, when Adam and Eve made the choice and said, we're going we're gonna to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. They were banished from the garden. The relationship is broken. From that moment on, God began to think about restoring that relationship. How can I get them back? We have this sin problem between us now. How can I, how can I get them back? And his answer to the question, what does love require of me, was that he was going to send his son to the earth to live a perfect life, to show us what it looks like, to live the life that we were created to live, and then to die as an innocent man as the son of God, a brutal death. That's what love required of him. And so that's what he did. So that he can have this relationship with you that you're here to celebrate or maybe to check out this morning. This, this relationship where you get to live under the freedom of forgiveness and the hope of heaven. That, that came at a price. God did what love required of him to make this moment possible. So this moment, as we celebrate the death of Jesus on our behalf, his broken body and his shed blood in this bread and juice that's coming down the aisle. I just want you to take a minute and reflect and thank God for doing what love required so that you can have a relationship with him. Let's honor him with this time. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, for the step that you took to heal this relationship, to defeat sin once and for all so that we can be forgiven and free. We know that it came at a great price, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that in this moment we would honor you with this time. We would show our gratitude, that we would repent if we need to repent and confess if we need to confess and that, that we'll be healed and whole and restored and ready for you to move in and through us this week. May you be pleased with the way we spend this time. In Christ's name, amen.